my friends, and welcome to the Experience Our Industry podcast. As you know, I'm Dr. Brian Greenwood, and I am excited to be here today with one of our uh, one of our former students, a graduate of the program from 2007. Uh, one year after Dr. Rue and I, Dr. Jerusha Greenwood and I arrived at Cal Poly, I'm Michael Carvalho. How are you doing, Michael? Doing fantastic. Appreciate uh, you reaching out and having a chance to chat. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm really excited to to get to ch- to chat with you and to catch up. Michael and I knew each other. Um, uh, as I said, I had just gotten to Cal Poly, but um, but we didn't actually have any classes together, so I don't know a whole lot about his background. So I'm I'm really excited to learn all about what he's done. He's done some amazing things over his career. He is currently the senior business development manager for Fire TV at Amazon, the small um, family-owned company that I'm sure a couple of you have heard of. <laughs> a little and, startup. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, just a little startup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, 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 uh, I, I, I don't remember whether I shared this with you or not, but one of my, um, one of my college, uh, a college friend who I actually haven't talked to in years and years and years was one of the first 20 in Amazon. And, oh. uh, and so we've all like admired his, uh, his rise, uh, through, uh, into, the, into the ranks of multimillionaires, you know, uh, we've all like, uh, yeah, we've all looked at it from afar, but, um, Michael is also speaking of startups and entrepreneurs, um, uh, my Michael is also, and we'll get a chance to talk about this. He's also the uh, founder and owner of True Jerky. And so uh, uh, he's got a real side hustle. A lot of us are trying side hustles on, uh, you know, here in California, but uh, Michael's got a real one. So excited to talk to you about that also, Michael. Tell us where you're from originally. Originally from uh, Sacramento, California. So it's been, this is you know, in Seattle now. It's my first time out of California. I grew up there my, my whole life. Right. Okay. Sack town, huh? Are you still a Kings yeah. fan? Huge Kings fan. It's like, uh, it's funny being the age that I am, they were just the best growing up and consistently yeah. in the playoffs. I think every year until I graduated now, it's been maybe the longest drought in professional sports, but, uh, I definitely still, still root from, uh, from Seattle here and try to, you know, I get league pass. So I catch all the losing live and I get to, you know, <laughs> continue to experience that, uh, that just even from, from here. Yeah, well, you know, I'm a sport management guy and I, I have become a huge NBA fan. So, uh, yeah, I have NBA, t- you know, I have the package and I, um, I, I actually really like watching the Kings. I think they have a good, fun, young team. Um, yeah. but, uh, but, you know, we'll see, I, I would like to see them, uh, return and, 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 and get good again. That would be, that would be nice to see. Um, so what were you like growing up? Were you, were you into sports? Were arts, drama, yeah. theater? What was your, what was your jam? Yeah, the big big sports guy growing up. I think you know soccer, basketball, baseball, some of the kind of traditional ones in Northern California. Uh, football and soccer the same season from a high school perspective. So I kind of focused on more soccer and basketball. Um, I was you know refereed a little bit uh, at a younger age, and yeah. So I, I actually you know sports management too was definitely at the, at the core of kind of some of the things that I did. Um, so yeah, very very athletic and kind of into those things. Right on. What did your parents do when you're growing up? They were actually both teachers. So I have a, you know, a unique aspect and kind of perspective of all things that I, my dad was um, actually one of my middle school teachers as well. And it was uh, the lowest grade that I had received to that point was, was from him because he had a, <laughs> a very strict uh, kind of wall about, you know, when and when I could ask homework questions at home. So that was, uh, you know, as a, as a, as a parent now, it's a, 
I look at that experience kind of uniquely. So I'm not sure I would do the same thing, but yes. <laughs> yeah, right. I love it. That's awesome. Well, uh, so uh, what about uh, siblings? Do you have any brothers or sisters? Yeah, I have one sister who's three years older than me. She uh, she ended up going down to L.A. for school, Occidental, and then she's actually back in Sacramento, um, and she is now a, an RN. So she's oh. dealing with all the, um, you know, a lot of stuff, obviously, that's going on in that space right now. And yeah, they uh, can healthy, but yeah, it's, it's scary stuff, but I'm yeah. proud of her. Yeah, yeah, I bet. Um, it's uh I, I look up, I look up to, to all healthcare workers during this, this, sure. um, this time that we're in and, and just admire them for, yeah, they're, they're really ultimately on the front lines of this and it's, um, it's a, it's been a scary time. So, uh, glad to hear she's safe and healthy. So, um, growing up, did you, did you have a dream job? Do you remember, do you remember having a dream job? Were you like a fire, fire, were you a firefighter kid or were you, uh, what, what were you? <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I think I, I think my parents have told me that I mentioned something about being, you know, a construction worker, or whatever that means when I was really young. But I think uh-huh. at, you know, fairly even, you know, youngest age, like elementary school, uh, I did have a lot of passion to work for professional sports. I can remember, you know, fake organizing leagues in school and kind of pretending like there was, you know, that that was a real thing. And, you know, talking about, you know, the refereeing piece and kind of playing that part in it. But I was very interested in how that all worked. And I think Sacramento being a, a smaller market, it felt like you were very engaged from a, an experience standpoint. You go to Arco Arena and the place is just, you know, just going crazy. There was um, the uh, Sacramento Knights, which is an indoor soccer team. I don't know if anyone remembers what that was like. That was also something that was kind of an intimate experience, but you got to feel, you know, very much like you were kind of a part of something. So I think uh, sports was at the forefront from, a, from an early age. Right on. That's cool. So everyone, you know, who, who comes to Cal Poly, ha- it seems to have um, some form of story or connection or something <laughs> about how they ended up here in our, our, our little piece of paradise, like we like to call it. Um, what, what's your story along those lines? Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. I think having left California now, it's I can totally appreciate how unique the Central Coast is specifically. But, you know, even San Luis Obispo, knowing that, you know, it's a very small town, but the school is not necessarily that small, you know, there's a lot of kids that go there. So it's a really, you know, you go north or you go south and you're, you're in a lot more, you know, crowded kind of area, not next to the beach. So, you know, in general, I think San Luis Obispo was always someplace that, um, you know, I enjoyed being specifically kind of hearing about the school. I do maybe have a little bit of a funny story is my uncle um, was a city planner of uh, Santa Maria. Uh, And so he, yeah, so he actually still does a lot of work up there and still lives there, but no longer in that same capacity. Um, and he would just kind of talk about uh, Cal Poly graduates in a, in a different light than some of the other people he'd worked with. Um, you know, so when I was in high school, I'd kind of hear these stories and just a lot of respect for people within city planning, but then also kind of some of the architectural engineers and some of the stuff that, um, you know, Cal Poly really specializes in. So I think um, I held it in the, you know, maybe this is a little bit more California-centric conversation, but with how competitive in-state schools are there and some such great UCs, um, you know, I didn't think originally that state school would be something that I targeted, but um, as everyone knows at Cal Poly, I think that it doesn't really have that same state school dynamic, so it seemed like a good uh, a good bargain, too, for the price. So yeah, there's a lot, sure. of, a lot of things that made a lot of sense about Cal Poly. Yeah, for sure. You know, we like to refer to ourselves as the flagship of the CSU, you know, it's, uh, I like that. Yeah. You know, but, uh, but it's funny, you know, I bet, I bet, um, San Diego, uh, I bet they're down there calling themselves the flagship also. So I don't know about, you know, maybe not, of, maybe not of academics, maybe not surfing. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, your time here at Cal Poly, is there, is there a moment or, or moments or, or experiences or anything like that that really sticks out for you? 
I mean, outside of, you know, obviously there's the social piece and, you know, friends and stuff that we did outside of school, but I can think of something that, you know, fairly specific to, you know, Cal Poly and I thought was a little bit unique um, is, you know, the first day of school for freshmen and you're that, you drive up to the dorms and there's just like all those people outside that are like half joking with you, half super excited that you're there. You're not sure if they're like, you know, cause they're kind of aggressive. Are they, are they mad? Are they happy? Like what's this whole <laughs> thing about? And so right. having experienced that as a freshman and then being able to, you know, see that dynamic evolve as you get older and starting becoming part of the process. And it's like, you know, you're kind of, you're making funny signs and saying funny stuff about parents, but then you're also like running up to the dorms and helping kids move in. It's just like a, you know, it's such a Cal Poly thing to do. Uh, You're kind of playing two roles. That's really funny, you know, because I uh, I had not really thought about that, and obviously I haven't experienced that myself. But um, but I, I was um I was doing a hike with some friends once on the day uh, on the move in day, and I I witnessed a little bit of that interaction. And so uh, as you're telling that story, I'm like <laughs> thinking I'm thinking back, and I remember also there used to be I think they've done away with this, Michael, but this was probably during your time where like um all of the kids who lived along Grand Avenue who had houses yep. along that, is that what you're talking about? Would make signs yeah, saying like, exactly. uh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. they sit on there and for sure. We were up on Loomis Street, but we'd come down to Grand and all just kind of park it there for the first couple hours. Yeah, it was, uh-huh. And make funny signs to make parents yeah. like freak out. Like, <laughs> oh my God, out, yeah. like what's going on? <laughs> like, uh, you know, oh man. Okay. That's, uh, that's, that's really interesting. Uh, uh, I love that story. So, um, so, you know, our obviously our, our listener base is um, uh, current students are are a big part of the listener base, and so they like to hear the stories about how uh, how you got your internship. Um, that's always uh, yeah. I feel like um, from from second year on, they start uh, the Cal Poly students start thinking about internships and and how to line those up. And you know, it's unlike unlike me who woke up his senior year one day from a hangover and looked at my roommate and said, "Hey." Um, when are they going to place us in that internship? Like I keep hearing about. And my buddy looked at me. He's like, I don't think you understand internship placement. And I was like, what do you mean? Yeah. And he goes, they don't place it for you, dude. You got to get your own. And, um, and I was like, really? So guess what Man. I did? I, I tagged on to his, his internship. <laughs> That's so, thinking uh, smarter, not harder right there. I like it. Yeah, exactly. So tell us about the process. Like what, what did you do with your internship? How did you get it? All that, all that jam. Yeah, I think it was a unique time having been a student from you know 2003 to 2007 and knowing the, the recession activity that was ongoing then. I, I mentioned that because obviously, you know, internships were difficult, but also there, there really wasn't an expectation that um, I was probably going to move into like a paying spot, you know, that, so I think, yeah. um, you know, which is a little bit different now and having, you know, work in a corporate world that does have internship programs, it's a little bit more of a structured kind of process and different tiers of all that, but it was um, a little bit different then. And I think, um, you know, I was similar to a lot of students that didn't have a, uh, a lot of traction, didn't, ha- hadn't worked like summer jobs necessarily that were, had a bunch of opportunities for me to step into. So I, I kind of did start, you know, from a, you know, very student kind of perspective where, you know, career websites and looking for announcements. And there was something about, you know, the Golden State Warriors were looking for some potential interns. Um, and I obviously piqued my interest kind of with my mention of sports management previously. Um, and it was really just like an application process that you it was fairly traditional. And I think the one, you know, as I kind of continue to talk back to, to a student audience here is that you think that sounds like a 
sexy job for lack of a better word. And so, oh, a thousand people are going to apply for it. When, and, and the reality, that's not necessarily always the case. I think a lot of people sometimes think that. And so, you know, putting yourself out there, you end up getting, you know, which what happened to me, I end up getting a call back and having a, an interview and continuing down that path and being able to secure that opportunity um, where I really just thought it was kind of a shot in the dark, didn't have any, you know, didn't know anybody within the organization, didn't necessarily have any like, like referrals or ins in that way. And so, um, yeah, it was very, very positive. And, I, and again, it was, un, it was unpaid. So I don't know how competitive uh, that was, but yeah, it was, it was a great experience. Right. Well, I love two things about your story, Michael. One, I love how you set it up as like, you know, we're in the recession and it's, uh, you, were, you, you were like lowering expectations exactly. to, where, to where the students thought you were going to say like, yeah, you know, so I just, uh, I went to work for my local parks and recreation department. <laughs> oh, you instead got an internship with the Golden State Warriors. I love that. <laughs> but they were yeah. the lowly Golden State Warriors they, back then in 2007, yeah, right? right? Yeah. Don yeah, Nelson and all that. Yeah. Yeah, right. I love it. So, um, and, and, you know, it's, it is funny about the evolution, you know, I think, uh, uh, the, the gravy train days of back when like in interns, um, almost all interns were not paid. Um, whereas mm. most now are paid and, um, yeah. and, um, so I think that's a really fair point too, that like, Hey, when it's an unpaid internship, it's like, Hey, you know, you're, you're, you're getting the experience, but, um, but I imagine, um, and, and I, I, you correct me if I'm wrong, if it's not the case, but having um, an NBA team on your resume, I imagine that was like a pretty good start to get you going. Did, did, do you feel like that helped? Yeah, hundred percent. I think, um, you know, at, at the time my goal was to actually, I, I ended up long story short, but um, so when I came into Cal Poly, I was having the sports management thing in mind and, and there was actually some, some budget cuts and some changes to the, to the parks for, you know, the recreation kind of degree program and what was involved in that. And, um, and so I actually, instead of doing a specialization, I actually changed my minor and minored in law. And so I had this big kind of idea of like, Hey, I'm gonna be a sports agent. That's kind of how the hat that I put on at that time. Right. So I went and worked for a sports franchise and, you know, um, uh, you know, I really enjoyed it, kind of figured out some of the ins and outs and got a perspective that um, would surprise me. I guess the one thing that surprised me about that uh, experience was that th these sports franchises are not massive you know, conglomerate businesses. They're not huge organizations with thousands of employees. Like it much, very much so in my mind, operate a little bit like a small business. Like you can see all of the front office was, you know, less than a hundred people. And so they make a ton of money. They have a big visibility from a public perspective, but they aren't, you know, these massive companies. So that was great. And then the next step, not necessarily to jump in front here, but was to, um, I then interned at a law firm because I kind of wanted to, mm -hmm. if you're going to go to law school and become a lawyer, um, you could potentially be a sports agent. That was kind of the next step. And I think, um, that was the experience that really helped shed some light on kind of the next steps in my career. Um, you know, noticing that right. being a lawyer in California is a very serious thing. And you aren't, you know, if you don't want to necessarily be in a courtroom practicing law, um, I had a lot of attorneys tell me that I should, you know, maybe going to law school wasn't the, wasn't the right path for me. So um, yeah, so a lot of experiences there. Yeah, I actually had some similar experiences because I, I was thinking about uh, thinking about law at one point too, but I, I love, um, I, I love that you that you talked about in, in wanting to be a sport agent because you know when I teach sport management, I obviously I say, look, I I know that uh, 
eighty percent of you, uh, you weren't that you weren't that far removed from the Jerry Maguire movie uh, when you uh-huh. were when you were exactly. graduating. But now yep. we're like so far removed from the Jerry Maguire movie. I'm like, yeah. how is it that still eighty percent of our sport management students still think they want to be a sport agent? It's really quite the phenomenon. But um, yeah. but I, but I love problem. what you said about law. Like <laughs> that is true. You have to have a law degree essentially to be to be a sport agent. And, yeah. uh, and, uh, I, I feel for you. I do want to tell you this quick story, how, when, um, when I got to Cal Poly, um, uh, Dr. Hendricks was like, um, yeah, so we want you to, um, we want you to run the sport management, um, concentration. And then he, and he, I said, oh, okay, cool. Can you show me the curriculum? And he was like, he showed me the curriculum and I was like, that's not sport management. And he was <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, I know. That's why we hired you. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, so there we go. <laughs> but I do. I I, 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 so now I know where that's coming from. Yeah. I, I do feel weird though, that we had like a period, like uh, from like 1990 to like 2007, where we had sport management graduates, but that actually, they weren't actually being yeah. taught sport management. You I agree. Know? Yes. I also feel weird about that. Yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty wild. So, so you, you know, um, I, I don't want to, I, I ultimately, I I want to get to, um, your, your founding of, uh, of true jerky and then your, in your current position, obviously as a, a senior business development major for fire TV uh, at Amazon. So why don't we, um, you know, we're going to skip ahead a little bit, like a few years, right? Why don't we talk about, why don't we talk about that process? You know, I think it's really interesting. You and I talked a little bit off air, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and I, I joked about the side hustle and how you have a real one. (laughs) Um, but, uh, I, I wonder, I wonder if you can kind of walk us through the process of what it was like founding your own company, um, in true jerky, how you're ultimately, how you're able to handle, uh, a full-time job and a, a side a side business yeah yeah it's a good question um i you know so kind of taking a small step back is um you know i worked for some companies that we kind of breezed through which is which is the right move um but what i kind of the big learning that i pulled from those was you know i i was uh had, had some good experience but i didn't necessarily have um, a specialization i was in a in a marketing field and i felt like um a lot of the conversations maybe didn't I didn't have anything to claim onto. You know, a lot of the marketing conversations are around people's maybe feelings, or there was some at that time really the marketing field didn't have a ton of data. So um, I think it's different now. I want to caveat that, but I felt very much that I had to go back to school, and so that's what um, you know moved me to, to potentially start sniffing out an MBA um, and thinking about a more tangible skill to kind of put on a resume or something to kind of formulate those around. So that yeah. spurred me to, um, to to explore some opportunities and. I ended up choosing, um, you know, the company I was working for at the time actually uh, helped sponsor me to go back to school. So that's great. Someone paying for it is always a good option, which, you know, pushed me in a, in a so I went to it part-time for three years to get that degree. But, um, you know, part of that, you're going to school after work. It's a, it's a lot, it's heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wanted to make sure I was getting the most of it. And I think the traditional school has, you know, case studies um, and, you know, you're going through hypothetical situations, you're reading through a, a textbook about scenarios that maybe are irrelevant, maybe not. Um, and so when I was given a lot of opportunities to, you know, think of this hypothetical situation or here's this made up company, think through these scenarios, I kind of thought, you know, I'm spending this time doing this. I have another real job. Like, why don't I create a company or think through an idea that I can continue to iterate on in all of these like case study type questions as I progress throughout these different classes. Right. So I ended up um, getting, a, you know, one of the uh, PhD marketing professors kind of sponsored me and I had an independent study where I took one class, which was me developing this company. And I wrote like a 
almost like a thesis about it, um, and then kind of continued to use that business that was very preliminary at the stages. It created a website, thought through a business plan, right? Like whatever, right. and use that as different case studies. You get groups, and groups are supposed to make up marketing, you know, strategies and whatever. Like, okay, let's do it for the company that potentially could be real. Um, right. And so, give me a little bit more. Um, I think the point of all that is that it, you know, after school and spending time in classroom, after you have a full time job, it, it allowed me to continue to feel um, very tied to the, to what I was doing, and you know, my attention was always there. So. Yeah. It uh, quickly iterated from there. I got um, actually all the people who were involved from the beginning and the founders were all from Cal Poly. So even though I was in San Diego, I still wrangled friends from different locations. A lot of us were in San Diego at the time. And we, right you know, um, yeah. So it was just one thing after another. We ended up developing a company and finding a need. Yeah. So, so tell us, um, so tell us about True Jerky. What is True Jerky? <laughs> and, uh, um, and, uh, and, and where can we get it now? Right. Yeah, so I'll be I'll be quick on that part, um, just because okay. obviously there's a there's a pitch in the background there that can go on forever from me. But um, of course, so it of originally course. It originally started off as True Gentleman's Jerky, which is like you know a very uh, it's just an outdated terminology. But basically, it right. referenced um, we were in a fraternity together at Cal Poly, and it was True Gentleman was kind of our saying or whatever. So we thought right. that would be a good way to just bake in the authenticity and the um, it was just a better for you jerky, and so we thought that would be. Right. It quickly, quickly you learn through customer uh, interactions, which is important, right? Like, every, you know, right. you'd have females and people and girlfriends come be like, oh, am I allowed to have some? We're like, oh, the gentleman's word is probably offensive to everybody. We should think about changing that. So right. we quickly pivoted to, you know, True Jerky, and then it actually became made by True um, later on. But yeah, we started a Kickstarter, got friends together, kind of figured out meat. Pro- it's a beef jerky company, so it's a mm-hmm. snacking. Um, San Diego has a ton of craft breweries, not a lot of... Um, food at those places. So we found out that um, by having jerky and doing tastings together, they could both not have a, a kitchen, but also, you know, make sure that people are not getting, you know, inebriated while they're, while they're at their craft breweries and then, uh, you know, the outdoor food markets and stuff. So it was a, it was a good time. And it just made sense from a, from a dollar standpoint too. Right on. I love it. And, um, you know, as you were talking about the different iterations and, and starting it and having a, a website, I was thinking about, um, you know, one of our, our former students um, is behind uh, Tahoe Made Clothing. Um, oh, great. I, I don't yeah. know if you're familiar with Tahoe yeah. Made. And uh, he also does a Deso Supply Company. And um, and he was, <laughs> I, I was remarking about how when he was a senior and he he pulled up his website and and showed me. I was like just blown away. And and he admitted on the podcast he was like, yeah. But at that time we had no idea what we were doing. I was just starting it. So sure. the website looked, looked yeah, it looked good and it was functional. But I had no idea what yeah. I was doing at that time. He's like, yeah, I now I now do. You know, like ten years later, I now know what I'm doing. But yeah, but I, I didn't at that point. And so uh, you'd rather make mistakes while you're the one footing the bill, right? Exactly, exactly. And you gotta fake fake it till you make it type thing That's too, right. you know, and uh, yeah. So, so let's talk about Amazon. Obviously you're working for a company that, uh, you know, here in the, uh, here in, in the midst of a global pandemic, obviously it is a company that has, um, that, that already was a big part of the lives of, of so many people, uh, here yeah. in the United States and around the world. But, but, but now, even more so, you know, and um, in the midst of a global pandemic with so many people ordering things and and needing that convenience of being able Mm -hmm. to get something really quickly from Amazon. Um, Let's talk about the the process, how you ended up with Amazon. um, And that the, can you, can you talk about maybe the progression that you've gone through? Cause you, you've worn, you've worn a few different hats and, and what that's been like. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good question. 
so basically after I graduated my MBA, I had a couple offers. Um, I, I knew I wanted to go a little bit kind of bigger what I was doing. I wanted to, you know, definitely learn a lot. And so there's some opportunities with Dr. Gamble in Cincinnati and some things. Um, but Amazon, you know, having started a company that sold stuff online, um, I was very eager to, you know, learn more about, you know, traditional, you know, uh, e-retail, right. And kind of understanding how, uh, how brands could do that and what, you know, the marketing piece of that all behind. So, um, that's someone to run actually made by true. And so really kind of relinquished a lot of that and that the growth that's taken place there is, you know, we built the foundation, but the people that were behind it were really, you know, responsible for it. And that I can't take a lot of credit for that since I started working for Amazon, I really took a hands off the wheel. So, um, the, uh, so I started off in a vendor manager position, which is a little bit more of a probably traditional entry level kind of job, potentially for MBAs, potentially for undergrads. There's some opportunities there. Um, and you, you manage, um, you know, the you, you kind of all aspects of, of a brand's business on, on Amazon. I was within the, the book space, which is, which is a good part to work in, especially at Amazon, just because it's the, you know, really the longstanding Mm-hmm. kind of traditional business model at Amazon is really what made them famous, obviously, for most people kind of know that. Um, but I was kind of crazy tech- that, that, yeah. that that is where it started. A lot of people don't realize that. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty nuts. Um, and it was within, within the textbook space, too. So it was an interesting you know place to be. I think Amazon's the biggest in that area. So from a data perspective, you were able to make decisions, um, you know, with scale that had kind of the inputs that were needed. Um, you know, you got to learn about supply chain because you were in charge of, you know, the buying, the purchasing, but also kind of, you know, your in-stock amounts and how, how important a lot of the things that you maybe wouldn't think about are from a forecasting standpoint, especially with, as you know, as a you know, professor, there's new additions, old additions, mm-hmm. understanding where the adoptions are coming from and how that's going to, you know, reverse engineer itself into, into your modeling and where you're purchasing stuff. And mm-hmm. so it was a, it was a good kind of, uh, um, you know, drinking from the fire hose and on all things retail. Mm-hmm. I, bet, I bet. And then, yeah. then you, you ended up, you ended up um, in, in, with prime video before your, before your current position, right? And and um, yeah. you're you're another one of those. It's it's kind of uh, an interesting thing. I've ended up talking to at least five people here during the the, the pandemic who got promotions during their um, during during the pandemic. So uh, with, with Prime Video, I, I see that you were um, a senior manager of content acquisition. So yeah. I imagine during 2018 to 2020, that must have been a pretty exciting time because Prime Video was really just exploding during yeah, that absolutely. time. What was that like? Yeah, it really was. That's that's funny because you know people know that now, but you're right. Like you go back four or five years, and it was iTunes, right? Like there just wasn't the same kind of breadth of of yeah. business that Prime Video did, and so that was a really good experience. It's very kind of similar to what I did maybe in retail and you manage a business, um, but in a digital, a digital organization. Um, and so right off the bat, you think, oh, they wouldn't have supply chain because there's no physical goods. But the reality is right. um, you are taking in video files, right? Like you got to import video files, there's assets, there's pictures, there's stuff, there's audio, there's dub, mm-hmm. you know, subtitles. And so it's not, not the case. There's definitely a supply chain. There's a delivery aspect to it. Um, I manage the, Dis- the Disney business um, on Prime Video, which is, a huge one. And I think um, I mentioned that because from a time period perspective, you're right, they, they bought Fox at that time. And so, you know, there's a lot of conversations about, you know, what that looks like and how to combine a business in the back end and, you know, how, you know, what the, how they prioritize different layers of content and stuff. So it was a very similar kind of to what I'm doing now too. And it had a business development aspect to it. Um, they say content acquisition, but the reality is now that Amazon's so big that we're not necessarily still acquiring content. We kind of have all of the selection. So, mm-hmm. uh, 
new formats, 4K, stuff like that. There's conversations, but yeah, it's more of a kind of a licensing relationship with Disney. I got you. And, and you know, as you were talking, as you were talking, I was, um, I was thinking about, I don't know if you've heard about the, um, and I'm going to blank on that. No, I'm not uh, top shot. Have you heard about top shot? I have not. Yeah. So top shot is this, um, is basically this, uh, this new phenomenon in, um, uh, you're familiar with sports cards, right? Trading sports I am. cards. Yeah, big time. So uh Top Shot, you should probably look into it because with your background and knowing all of, all about uh, this, uh the back end of it, you'll you'll know about this. So Top Shot is essentially uh trading uh highlights. So trading highlights with NBA. So you can buy like LeBron's <laughs> poster of like dunking on someone, right? You can buy it and then um and then you offer it out into the marketplace and then it either goes up or it goes down and it's all crypto. And so it has exploded within the last three months. And it's just like, they're estimating within the next year, it'll be a $1 billion business. Oh my gosh. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just insane. Um, and I, I don't know anything about crypto or, or, and, and never really got too much into sports cards, but you know, as a sport yeah. management professor, I have to pay attention to things like that. Sure. So, so yeah, it's really yeah. Um, quite uh, quite fascinating. And I was just reading about it last night, and a lot, a lot, like you said, like you don't think about these, um, the licensing and all of that. But the yeah. NBA was smart enough to go into um, to realize there was a market and to um, and to ultimately um, allow these highlights to be um, to be commodified. And um, obviously it's going, you know, when you think about in the middle of a global pandemic and how much money they've lost um, with people not being in the arenas, <laughs> um, this is just one offshoot to potentially make some of that money back. And um, pretty totally. yeah, pretty genius, actually. But um, yeah, I would say one thing, one quick comment on that is if you yeah. look at what the NBA has done with League Pass, too, I think yeah. different than other other kind of, and you know, as a, as a customer of League Pass and proliferation, they used to not hide the scores and they started hiding the scores. They, they've, they've reverse engineered, they, they've thought from a customer perspective, but they also own kind of their, their tech company, which is a little different than the professional sports. And if you look at what they've done recently is they're starting to do microtransactions where you can almost buy like a, a quarter or a half of a game, or you can, you know, so they've, they've kind of leaned into a digital footprint in a way that's different than their sports programs. 100%. And I, that's one of the things I love about the NBA is that they're, they're, they're paving the way along those lines, yeah. you know, I mean, um, Adam silver being the first one to endorse sport gambling and, um, of the yeah. major professional sport, um, uh, entities and realizing what a big element that is in the sport landscape, right. you know, it's, it's, it's hilarious because I mean, I, I I'm sure you were a lot like me uh, as a sports fan, you know, you go through college and you realize you're like, seriously, I've got to have an a, illegal, I know. Bookie. I've got to have an illegal bookie to like, wager yeah, $10 someone? on a game, you know, and then, so yeah, that promotes this like black, uh, black market of sports yep. gambling that is really, really counterproductive to a lot of things. And so I just love that they've pushed it into the light and to realize that it's part of entertainment and that yeah. uh, we don't, we don't have to shy away from it. Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah. So, so let's get to, let's get to fire TV and, and, and hear about, <laughs> hear about what you're currently doing. Um, so tell us, uh, you know, students, uh, uh both prospective students, current students, and also young professionals who might be um, considering a, a change. i uh, mm -hmm. love to hear about like your day-to-day. -day. What's your day-to-day? -day? You know, I know it's only been three months and it's been in the middle of a global pandemic, but uh, what's your day-to-day -day like as a senior business development manager for Fire TV? 
Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of touch points across fire TV for, especially I, I still continue to, um, you know, manage, uh, the, the Disney relationships with Disney plus and Hulu and, and ESPN properties on, on fire TV. And so those are, um, obviously it's a, a big changing environment there because of COVID there's been a lot of changes to the way that the windowing strategy for, for these studios, um, to kind of just mention for the background here is how, how I kind of bridge that was there's obviously some correlation between, you know, having some prime video perspective on Disney from a video business. And then now within fire TV, where you're looking at these video apps. So it was um, not a huge jump for me, but um, you know, now in a devices tech org, there's a, a whole aspect of, um, you know, how the playback looks, you know, what the, what an integration looks like, how customers are, you know, using devices or interacting with content, how long they're being there, you know, how, how long their engagement is, stuff like that. That's, it's all new to me uh, in this new role, but uh, you know the day to day involves you know often partner partner meetings, kind of figuring out you know what's coming up from a, a marketing perspective. You know, Wandavision is that going to be getting some some real estate on the website? Is there you know is there a UFC event on the weekend um, that we need to prepare for from a transactional standpoint? And then there's you know kind of you know meetings about making sure the status of the business is running in the same way that you would probably anticipate. If there's some metrics that skew in some direction, you might have to talk to some senior leadership about why that is or offer some justifications. And then, um, you know, more broadly, just, uh, you know, thinking through strategic decisions and, um, you know, places where, where we can improve an experience for customers and making sure that we're, um, you know, checking all the boxes uh, so that the business is running smoothly. Right on. I love it. And, you know, you're, you're one of, um, you're one of many of our alumni who helped to uh, drive us towards this experience industry management approach that we've um, <laughs> that we've adopted, and and you and I have talked a little bit offline about what that means and and ultimately what we're doing. Um, so I, I like to get um, I like to get alumni's perspective on on whether or not you know you're seeing in what you're currently doing um, wh- whether you're seeing that co-creation of experiences, whether it be with clients or with users or with customers or, or with, with, with employees and partners, are, are you seeing that as a big part of what you do? And, and um, does that, does that resonate with you? Yeah. In terms of, in terms of just having the kind of changing the branding around the experience portion of, of the, of the kind of major and what you guys are Kind of driving towards is that what you're referring to? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm just curious. You know, I um, I, one of the things I I like to discuss is that I I want to make sure that that our alumni understand where where we're going, right? You know, and Got so, it. you know, in in 2015, we were we were undergoing a per, potential reorganization, and one of the things that we did was we we surveyed students and we looked at. 500 different careers on LinkedIn. Mm. And we realized that 70% of our students were doing something that was not um, recreation parks and tourism, right? It was, um, it was more about experiences. And um, at the same time, there was a group of academics in our, in our, in our academic discipline that were um, looking at the theory of structured experiences. And they were starting to, um, they were starting to theorize. And we actually have one of the world's, um, one of the people from that lab is now one of our faculty members. And so, and so now, you know, we, so we've doubled down on that experience design element, you know, so rather than teaching the traditional recreational programming, we're teaching experience design and, and, um, and that, that, um, 
that design thinking uh, mechanism for for students. And um, and and don't get me wrong, yeah. we we haven't left parks and recreation. Students can still go and 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 do that because yeah. they're create they're co-creating experiences in parks and recreation also. And so, um, uh, but it's ultimately opened up um, opened up a, a really big. Um, a really big market for our students that they, that you guys were already forging into anyway, but yeah. you were having to overcome the burden of saying you're a parks and rec person. Right. And you did that by getting an MBA, yeah. obviously that was a big part of what you did. Um, but, uh, yeah. but so I'm just curious about your perspectives related to the move that we've made. Yeah, no, thanks for clarification. I just wanted to make sure I was kind of addressing it. Right. Um, yeah. yeah, I think it's, a. Uh, it's like unfortunate. It's not like anyone has anything personal against the recreation, parks, and tourism kind of label that was put on there. But I think it just created, as I know you've kind of previously mentioned too, it just kind of creates this narrative that's not maybe, you know, doesn't do it justice, I guess, to, to the student um, in a lot of certain circumstances. And I think taking it a step that's very granular, you know, you don't see very many majors that are like, you know, very specific about what they're doing. And yeah. Cal Poly, you got to make sure you're making that choice at 17 years old potentially as you come in. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. that's also also difficult. But yeah, like I think um, it, I think that if you talk to someone, and I know you talk to frequently for this program, for, who work in those more traditional uh, recreation fields, um, they'll tell you that the skills that they're probably utilizing are fairly ambiguous to the work environment. Um, you know, teamwork, collaboration, you know, effective communication, you know, things that they would do and would thrive at doing in other places. Um, and I think that's great that they found themselves in, you know, a place that's the recreation field. I think there's a lot of, you know, city work and stuff like that. That's, it does have a different twist. It's a lot of times not for profit. So putting on, you know, a customer hat versus potentially a, a bottom line, top line hat is important. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I, I realized that early on, even with from friends at school, you know, like, Oh, he's a rec major or whatever. And you kind of laugh it off, but you know, you're going to go work for the warriors. You're like, eh, I don't think he gets it. It's fine. Like whatever. <laughs> right. um, but you also realize that there are some, you know, the next job, the person's not going to be maybe as familiar um, with what Cal Poly is or what's about and what that distinguishes. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, taking a broader perspective of what you guys are doing and looking at experiences, not only, you know, helps the very obvious, tangential things that we see, you know, like it's not rec, it's maybe something else, but it also like opens you guys itself up to continue to like grow as technologies change, as the way people experience things, hey, the pandemic and Zoom, probably a different environment in what we're doing here right now. Um, I think that's, I think that's super smart. And I think it's going to continue to, um, you know, not have students necessarily put their blinders on. And when they're a sophomore looking for an internship, you know, they don't have to just run down the street to their, you know, rec department and see what kind of positions they have open. They may be looking at, you know, um, small businesses or, you know, bigger corporate firms and just trying to leverage those experiences. Exactly. That's exactly what we're going for. And, you know, we're, we're about to open up in the fall. We're, we're opening up an experience innovation lab. I don't know if you've heard, oh, but um, I uh-huh. don't know if you've, uh, have you, have you been back to Cal Poly recently? I went back a couple of times. Yeah. Just to, my wife had to, she didn't go there. She went to San Diego state. So I had to explain, oh, she had to make sense of all of these things that I was saying. So we went back a couple of times, but uh, have yet okay. to come back off for obvious reasons in the last year or so. Uh, yeah, of course. Of course. Well, um, did, did you get to see the new Baker center that, um, I, that I, did, built, I did where yeah, the spider building was? Yeah. So it's That's pretty crazy. amazing, right? Well, right next to there, if you remember building 10, the old agriculture <laughs> building, right? I do yeah, for sure. But, yeah. So we're building a job. We're building a new building right there where our experience innovation lab. Um, oh, so you remember the courtyard back behind building 10? Yep. Uh, um, I actually taught a class once there <laughs> where I was, um, I was teaching. And um, as I was teaching, 
the students weren't paying attention. And I was like, what, what is it? And they like pointed and I looked back and there was like a, a whole like flock of wild turkeys about to attack me <laughs> coming down okay. from the hill. Yeah. So uh, very Cal Poly, very, very Cal Poly. Exactly. <laughs> right. Like I, uh, I tell people like, uh, yeah, about the biggest news we get is that, uh, there's been a, um, a, a bobcat sighting and, um, and, uh, you have yep. to be, you have to look out, but, um, but yeah, so we're building a huge new building there. And then when we'll have our first, um, uh, we'll have our first dedicated lab space that's going to be called the Experience Innovations Lab, where we'll Great. where we will partner with businesses to um, to test their experiences, and students will get that state of the art type of um, of uh, of experience. Where we'll, where we will um, you know we'll partner with engineer with engineers and with um, and with computer scientists and with all kinds of people all around all around campus, and we're super Sorry about yeah, we're super excited about it. And, um, you know, the, the one thing that, that I'll leave you with and, and that I'll, that I'll, um, that I'll uh, like to get your perspective in working mm -hmm. for, um, obviously a, a, a big global corporation like Amazon, like what, what do you see? And this is a tough one, Michael, but I, I know you're <laughs> capable of it. Like, what do you see? You know, we've seen so much, um, We've we've seen so much disruption over the last uh, five years. You know that's become obviously a uh, um, hot button corporate word uh, that disruption, right? But um, yeah. But obviously we've seen this natural disruption with the pandemic. Um, what type of uh, what type of opportunities do you see on the horizon that might be um, that might be something where we might be able to focus or where students might be able to to start to enhance their skills. A lot of them, as you can imagine, Michael, right now are scared about getting out into the career world. Yeah. And what that's going to look like. Any mm -hmm. advice that you could give to them along those lines? Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, I think as we, you know, we talk about this world that has all this data now. And I think um, sometimes there are, you know, academic institutions maybe a little bit further behind to catch up on those things for the right reason. You don't want to continue to evolve your curriculum based on trends. Um, but now we're at a space where I think data is super important. So understanding how to pull data, how data can be looked at is the, you know, first layer of the onion that I think people are aware of. I think what they aren't necessarily aware of and what's really important to start, you know, fine tuning your skills is, uh, you know, how you baked that data that you have into a, into a narrative, into a paper. And so at Amazon, what we do, we, we don't do PowerPoints. We don't, you know, it's a very kind of GE type thing that I think a lot of people know about Amazon, but we're always writing. So, you know, half my job is writing strategy documents where we're starting with, you know, customers and data and working backwards. And so it's not a, a colorful story that I'm adding, you know, using a bunch of adjectives and verbs. Like if I say, you know, it's really big, I shouldn't, I should say, how big is it? It's this big, which is bigger than X, Y, and Z, or, you know what I mean? You're, you're selling things out. You're right. starting at the top of the funnel. Here's all, out of all the customers, this is how big this is. This is what I'm talking about. And so, you know, some of these things that are, you know, business writing is different than, you know, English and different than literature and a lot of those other things. And so understanding how you take a big set of data, maybe you find some, uh, a piece of data that's that's an outlier to use something that says something, it doesn't matter what that is, that's always debatable. There's going to be different ways to pull data. You could probably cut it in a way that says different stories. Mm -hmm. That's fine. What is the story you're trying to tell? And I see, you know, there's a proliferation of very common mistakes that I think some people make, which is, which is fine. That's, that's natural. But, um, you know, that skill is, is important. And I think um, the other part of that, which I think is worth mentioning, and I don't mean to go on a, again, a tangent here, but. Um, no, I love it. Keep going. The one thing that's different about school that's, that's different in the professional world is if I write a document 
and my, I give it to my boss and she does or doesn't like it. And maybe she doesn't, she marks it all up. It's not like a test where if I take a test and I fail it, I'm like, oh crap. Like I don't get to just say, oh shoot. I don't get to, I have to go back and redo that. And so, you know, as you think about tests and you're like, oh, I didn't do that test, but it's out of my mind. Like, I don't, I think that mindset is a little bit dangerous when you think about translating it into a, into a corporate world where, you know, mm-hmm. redos are fine. It's getting it right in the end and how you get there. So it's, you know, the real world is not a test. Um, yeah. And so developing the skills on how to take tests is great, but figuring out how to look at a test and figure out what you got wrong and then learning it so you don't make it wrong again is more important. Right. Well, so much of what you just said uh, resonates uh, so much with us here at Cal Poly, obviously, because the learn learn by doing mentality is all about that. Um, you know, uh, I, I I got knocked when I, I was I wrote I don't know if you, you probably don't even know this, but I I wrote a, a book on learn by doing in 2017, oh, wow. and and that's one of the things that uh that that we discovered is that 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 failure in a safe environment, that ability to like, yeah. and, and I got dinged for like don't call it failure. It, it's 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 yeah. trial and error it's not failure it's 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 um it's it's like you said it's redoing it's it's continuing the process it's all about the yeah. process and and i love that and you, you'll be happy to know that um uh, we've got a lot of um we've got a lot of crossover from what you were just talking about. We, we now in the core, um, the major core, we now have experience industry data analytics class that's required. And, um, (laughs) and we, uh, through that experience design that we're working on, we're we're at storytelling is a very big part of that. And, um, and so, yeah, we're doing, we're doing some of the exact things that you're talking about with, um, with our students now. And, um, and you're exactly right with academia, um, there is that tendency to be way behind, you know, and, um, and that's one of the things, uh, through Dr. Hendricks leadership over the last, um, uh, uh 10 years in particular, where we really doubled down on realizing that we can't afford to be the ones that are so far behind. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, we're a major, we're a department where if, something big like a global pandemic happens, um, we could be one of the first ones on the chopping block. And what we did in 2016 in shifting to experience industry uh, management, we made it so we can't be cut because we are (laughs) on the cutting edge. You know what I mean? Like we, they great. can't, they can't go, oh, well, parks and recreation, let's just let them go because um, what is that really? Right. You know, instead they go, oh, wow. Experience industry management. They're on the cutting edge. They're doing this, they're doing that. And, um, and so that's been, you know, uh, quite honestly, if we were still recreation parks and tourism administration only, I would be very, very worried right now. But, but um, yeah. a- a- as it is, and and knowing um, knowing what our students and alumni are out there doing, and knowing what we're that that we are um, more attuned, um, has really been a pretty awesome experience. And so we love being able to connect with alumni like you or who are, um, even though you weren't here when we did that, uh, made that change, you out, you're out there embracing it and doing it every day on a daily basis. And so I really appreciate all of the perspective you gave to us there. Um, thank you so much for taking the time, um, to, to speak with us and, um, don't hesitate to reach out if you need anything from me. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'd also say to students out there, if there's people looking for advice, this is, you know, Cal Poly is a smaller community. I'm happy to talk to people through LinkedIn or answer questions as they come up. I think that everyone needs that at this time and age. And, you know, don't be afraid to ask questions. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much, Michael. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, guys.